All right, you guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to finish up chapter 14 tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking about the structure of worship and why it is important. We'll be talking a little bit about tongues. We'll talk a little bit again about gender roles. Um, so I will pray, and then I will read the passage, and we will start, start going through it. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for bringing us here to learn about Your Word. I, I pray that You would uh, give me words to speak that are, that are true and, and uplifting and convey the meaning of this text. And Father, I pray that, that You would give us all an understanding of what it is You're trying to communicate to us about worship uh, and, and the gifts and gender roles, and that uh, we would be a healthier church uh, through hearing Your Word. We love You, Father. We ask this in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, so starting in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but they should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Uh, so I'll go ahead and give you guys a disclaimer that, again, we, we had this, the spiritual gifts lesson. I told you guys my stance is that I am a continuationist, uh, but hesitant And so I'll I'll be giving some examples of that in my life uh, that has to do with the Scripture. Um, And I'll be giving my opinion. If you you disagree with me, we can look at the Scripture together some other time. Uh, I have no problem with that. Uh, But I want you guys to know that 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 is my stance on it. Um, And Pastor Scott is a cessationist, uh, soft cessationist, right? So, um, So it's okay that we have a different opinion. We're not fighting about it. Scott and I are friends, uh, so we're allowed to have different opinions about things like that. Um, there are things that we can't differ on, 
but uh, this, is, this is one that people can disagree on and still be Christians. Okay? So, uh, verses 26 through 28, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. All right, so here's a very important passage right here, part of this phrase, uh, part of this passage. Let all things be done for building up. So he's telling us what the purpose of the spiritual gifts is. Uh, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in his turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So this, this part that I've underlined is really, really important for spiritual gifts. Whether, whether you believe the miraculous ones are happening or not. We all, we all definitely have gifts that God has given us. Uh, you know, teaching is, is listed as one of those gifts. Serving is lifted as a gift. An act of mercy is a gift. We all have things that God has gifted us with. He, he has shaped us in a unique way. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And we all have a part to play in the church. And this verse right here, this sentence applies to you. Okay, The way that you use your skills in the church is that you should do them for building up the church or for building up a specific brother or sister in Christ. That's the purpose of the gifts. And, we, and we've talked about this before. Okay, so uh, he's, he's laying out the structure of the church. And so it seems like when they were meeting together, that it wasn't just one person who would speak and share the word, that someone would sing a song, someone would teach a lesson, someone would reveal some truth, someone would speak in a tongue, and hopefully someone would interpret that tongue. Okay? But all of those things... All of those things, whether songs or lessons or a revealed truth or tongue, had to be done for the building up of the church. There was no building up of oneself in that. It was for the church. It was not an opportunity for someone to get up in front of the church and to be seen, to get attention, uh, and definitely not used to tear down the church. So that's very important. Uh, And so... What he's going to go through is he's going to go through the fact that if there's any gifts being used, if there's any um, speaking in tongues, and there's a general principle here, that there should be some order. Okay, so he says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three. Okay, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn. All right, so I want you to think, uh, if any of you have seen different people speaking in tongues or videos of people speaking in tongues in church, this is not typically the way that they do it. Now, there are definitely churches that do follow this passage, uh, but a lot of the Word of Faith movement, a lot of extreme charismatic churches, it's just a lot of people speaking all at once. It's not in turn, it's a bunch of noise. And, and I think I, we, could, we could go back to what Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And I would say that, that reflects those, those, in quotes, worship services. 
They're, they're noisy, and it seems like there's a lot happening, but it's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. It's, it's a lot of noise, but, but there's no substance. So uh, Paul is saying, hey, the church is not, it's not a stage. It's not a playhouse. It's not an entertainment center. It has a purpose, and so everything should be done in order. So they can, teach, they can speak in turn, and then it says, and let someone interpret. So, you know, speaking in a tongue, there are different views on this, but, but um, generally people would say it's speaking a language other than the one that you naturally speak. So I speak English, speaking in a tongue, I'd be speaking something other than English, whether it's a foreign language here on earth, or maybe, as Paul says, the tongues of angels. Uh, but he says, if there is no one to interpret, there's no point in speaking in tongues. And, he's, and he says that uh, in another passage before in Corinthians. If there's no one to interpret, then there's no upbuilding from the church. That the, that the speaking in tongues, I'm saying things, if I'm speaking in tongues, that are not from myself, but are from the Spirit. And so someone needs, their, someone needs to be there to interpret those words, because we're really the Spirit is communicating through me and He has some teaching or instruction to give. That's the way it seems like in this passage. But if there's no one to interpret, it's just someone speaking something that no one can understand and then leaving. And so there's no purpose in it. There's no building up. And so it does not match up with what Paul says here. Let all things be done for building up. So if there's no one to interpret, don't let anyone speak in tongues. That's, that's a, we can all follow that rule. All right, uh, and I want to give you guys an example that I heard of. There's a guy who used to work at camp, and uh, he had memorized Psalm 23 in Greek, and he went to a church at his, in his hometown that was known for being uh, Pentecostal, but they said they, they would follow the, this, uh, this word in 1 Corinthians, that they would only... Uh, speak in tongues if there was someone there to interpret. And, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't maybe recommend doing this, but he wanted to test them. And so he said, hey, I can speak in tongues. So he kind of lied already. But he went up there and he said, I want, I'm not going to do it unless there's someone to interpret. Someone raised their hand and said, oh, I, I've got the gift of interpretation. Uh, and so he shared Psalm 23 in Greek. So he knew exactly what he was saying. And so that's why he was, how he was testing this interpreter. And she so said, oh, here's what it's saying. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she you know, was teaching them some doctrine about the gospel. Whatever it was, it wasn't Psalm 23. All right? And so he told them, hey, you don't have the gift of interpreting. Okay? And so that, that'd be a hard lesson to learn. I wouldn't recommend any of you guys doing that. You might, uh, you, you might, get, uh, might get hurt. Um, but uh, it's important to know that interpreta- interpretations of tongues is not just hearing someone speak and then coming up with whatever you think God is impressing upon you to say. All right? When we talk about the spiritual gifts, it's, we're not talking about this, these feelings and impressions uh, because that is often just the heart of man. The heart of man is, is, is speaking... Uh, and we like to pretend that we know what God is saying sometimes, and I think uh, that can be quite dangerous. And so that's, that's one of the main reasons that we have Scripture. Uh, and so as we go on to this part, there's, there's, a, really important, um, there's a really important line here, uh, moving on to verse 
29 through 33, he says, Let two or three prophets speak. And here he says, And let the others weigh what is said. This is really important. You guys need to have your powers of discernment trained up. Because there are going to be people claiming all sorts of things. Not just spiritual gifts. Different doctrines. Different teachings. And you need to be able to weigh what is said. And how, what do you weigh it according to? Well, you weigh it according to the Word. That's what we have the Word for. That word canon, it comes from uh, the word kane, which just means cane. It's a measuring rod. So if I said a meter stick like, or a ruler, that's, that's what that word canon means. It's the ruler by which we measure everything. All right, so we have this Word, and the Word of God is how we measure all truths, especially all truths about God. Okay, So they would let these two or three prophets speak, uh, and, and this shows what they thought about prophecy. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of cessationists would say that, um, that if someone says they're a prophet, that their word is just supposed to be taken you know, and believed immediately. Well, this passage goes against that. It says, you know, they're weighing what the prophets uh, are saying. There's actually a prophet test. If you read the Old Testament, Old Testament's really good. It's full of good stuff. There's a prophet test in the Old Testament. Uh, there's two tests if someone claims to be a prophet. And they're really easy tests. Like, if they fail this test, the, the Bible said to stone them. Um, so, first test was if they predict the future... And what they say does not come true, kill them. They're a false prophet. They did not speak from the Lord. And you could know that because the Lord is never wrong and the Lord never lies. Okay? And so anyone who would claim to be speaking the word of the Lord and would be false, they would not be speaking the word of the Lord. Okay? And then he said this, if they prophesy and, and tell the future accurately, and so that's actually kind of scary because it seems like there are powers that can predict the future. Okay, So just because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's good. There are spirits that are not from the Lord. So he says, if a man comes and he predicts the future, and it's true, but he says, let us go and worship other gods, a different god than the one that your parents worshipped and the one that you've been worshipping, well, there he is. He's a false teacher. He's, he's deceived you by his miracle and he's driving you away into false doctrine. All right. So anytime someone comes to say, oh, I'm speaking the word of the Lord, well, you have those two tests. All right. And, and I can tell you that that still applies today. You might think it doesn't apply today. Okay. I was raised in a cult of Mormonism. All right. And there was a man who claimed to be a prophet. And very conveniently, he has all of his prophecies written down in a little book. And you can read them. And there's at least one that didn't come true. Case closed. Joseph Smith's a false prophet. Mormonism is a lie. That's all. If you actually read the Word and care about what the Word of God says, done. That's all the argument you should need to make. Is, and I, I can actually count four false prophecies that Joseph, Joseph Smith made. All right? And so that's it. It still applies today. And Millions of people are led astray because they don't look at the word. They don't use the prophet test. All right. And then the other prophet test, Joseph Smith fails as well because he says uh, there's something, 
There's a, there's a very famous speech by him where he says, hey, you, you used to be taught that God was God from all eternity. I would refute that claim and tell you, I would remove the veil from your eyes and tell you that that's not true. And he would go on to say that uh, you can become a God, that God became a God, right? So that's a different God than the God you betrayed to worship from the Bible, right? So he fails those two prophet tests, all right? So anytime someone comes to you and and they're saying to speak a word in the Lord, you're allowed to defer judgment and say, let me think about that. All right, and I'll give you two examples in my life of someone who claimed to be a prophet, and I, I've deferred judgment. Well, one of them, I've deferred judgment. One of them, I think, you know, he, he spoke the word of the Lord to me. Uh, first one, I'll say of the deferred judgment, uh, there was a woman... Uh, and uh, she, she went to a church that I used to go to, and uh, she told me that she came up to me and said that she had a message from the Lord uh, that she needed to give me, that she was cooking in her house, boiling some water from, for some spaghetti, and she said she just was thinking about me, and she felt the Lord say, to tell me that I was a boiling pot. And I heard her, you know, and I said, okay. And she said, do you know what that means? And I said, no. You're the one that brought the word. You, sh- you tell me. And she said, well, people normally they know immediately what I mean when I say this. Well, I would say, they want to know what they mean. They fill in the gaps. This is, this is kind of like uh, the same thing as uh, astrology, all right? They, astrologists, if you ever read astrology, you don't, if you do, just do it for research. Don't, like, do astrology. But if you read the, the astrology, I don't know what they call them, uh, blurbs, horoscopes, horoscopes, that's there. If you read that, uh, they're very vague. They can apply to everyone. And so your mind automatically fills in the gaps uh, and it's like, oh, this is just like me. I'm such a Sagittarius. I'm such a Libra, all right? They are writing it that way on purpose so that you fill in those gaps. And there's a lot of quote-unquote prophecy in the charismatic church that is really just vague things that appeal to your ego to want to be special and you're filling in the gaps and you want to hear a word from the Lord and you're filling in the gaps, and it's not prophecy, it's just self-delusion. Okay? So be careful. Don't just assume that someone's speaking from the Lord when they say. The other one, uh, very early on in my, uh, in my faith, um, I was visiting a friend at a college campus, and we ran into this guy at, at the quad. He was sitting on a bench, and we just started talking to him. We were, we were going around talking to people about the gospel, and this guy said he was a Christian. He said he had the gift of prophecy. And we, we spoke the first time I'd ever met the man. Um, and there, there had been this prayer that I had been praying for, for probably three or four months because I had been very convicted that I wasn't a very loving person. And so I had just been praying over and over and over again every night, Father, please give me more love in my heart. Father, please give me more love in my heart. That was my prayer for a very long time. And I meet this man, and we're having this conversation. And he says, okay, I have a word from the Lord for you. Uh, and he's saying, he's saying this, you have been praying to God that he would give you more love in your heart. 
And he is telling you that you need to write his word on your heart. All right? So for the boiling pot thing, there was no way for me to weigh the truth of that. It was like, it really didn't make any sense. But this man told me exactly what I had been praying. And the word from the Lord that he gave me was actually scripture. It was directly from the word of God. And it was truth from God's word that I needed to hear. And it set me on a path of scripture memorization that I still continue to this day that has been very important for my life. All right. And so I weighed what he said, but it wasn't very hard because what he said was absolutely God's word. And I knew it because it was from the Bible. Okay. Uh, So then continuing on, he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. And this is why he says that for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. All right, and so he's going back to this order. There should be order in worship. There shouldn't be a chaos. There should be order in worship. Whatever kind of worship you're doing, there should be an order in worship. And a lot of, a lot of people would say, oh, you're, you're putting restraints on me that don't need to be there. But there are some restraints that, that do need to be there in the church. And Paul is letting us know that. Uh, and the reason is I've underlined this, uh, but I'll put it in brackets for you. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And this is, this is a passage a lot of people have memorized, and a lot of people will immediately think whenever they, whenever they look into a charismatic service, they'll think, this is confusing. This is chaotic. This doesn't reflect what God is saying when he says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so, for a lot of the spiritual gifts, a lot of the talk of spiritual gifts, it ends up being more confusing than helpful. And so I would, I would say, hey, I, yeah, I am a continuous, but I, I'm very skeptical. I weigh everything by the word. I'm, I'm never just like, all right, yeah, you're, you're speaking the word of the Lord. If it's, if it's more confusing than helpful, then I would say, I, I don't think it's building, building me up. And I think it's probably not from the Lord. Uh, so I say that all for you guys because there, there are people in the world that are, that are claiming to to have the spiritual gifts, claiming to speak to you, claiming to have a dream, teaching people how to speak in tongues, people, teaching people how to dream dreams. And I think a lot of that's really dangerous. I don't, I don't see a lot of it building up the church. And I say that as a continuist. Um, moving on. Uh, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Oh no, it's the patriarchy again. We're going to get in trouble. All right, so here's what he says. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. So here's this key word here, submission, that we went over when we learned gender roles. As the law also says, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Uh, And then the the part that really gets people upset. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So let's spend a little bit of time here and make sure that we understand this properly so that we don't think Paul is a jerk, because he's not a jerk. He's talking about the order of church. He's talking about the structure of church. Uh, And at the very end, he says that all things should be done decently and in order. So decently, I think, is the key part here concerning women. Things should be done decently. There's a right way, there's a proper way, there's a fitting way for things to be done in church. Um, and I want to give you guys an analogy as far as, you know, the women keeping silent in the churches. 
first, I just want you guys to understand that most people keep silent in church. Just as a, gen- as a general rule, most people keep silent. Unless we're all singing, and he's not talking about not singing. I don't think that's, that's what he means. Most people are keeping silent. It's usually the pastor that's speaking. All right. So when I go to church, myself as a man, I'm not spending a lot of time speaking other than when I'm singing a song. All right. Now, there is a little bit difference here because it does seem like these people were taking turns bringing certain things before the church. It does seem like there's a little more conversation going on in the early church, and, and maybe we could use some of that. Um, but when it says that the women should keep silent in the churches, this really goes back to the same concept as the head covering. All right. And so when we talked about the head coverings being used in church, this was a sign that women understood the proper order of God's world, that God is over all, all right, and that man uh, is the head of his family, not just his wife, but the head of his, own, of his whole family, all right, and the wife is a helper that is made fit for him, and that she has a purpose in that family, and uh, the man is the leader. So the, the analogy that I would give you is if you had two nations that were going off to war with one another, Think like an old, old, time, old times, like, you know, if you watched uh, Braveheart uh, or some other old movie where people were still fighting with swords, and the leaders would go out on horseback and meet each other and they would talk, right? None of the other men are speaking. It's just the two leaders that are speaking, Okay, so when there's important communication to be had, it's just the leaders that are speaking. And if a man from the army began to speak, it would reflect poorly on the leader. It would say, my men don't respect me or trust in me enough to negotiate with this other leader. Okay, and so when we come to women not speaking in the churches, we can even say this applies to women voting, a healthy A healthy family has the father as the head speaking and the woman doesn't need, feel the need to speak up because she trusts in her husband to say all the things that need to be said. All right. And so it's not saying that women aren't allowed to learn anything, that women aren't allowed to be participants in church. What it's saying is that there's a structure and the woman should be trusting in her husband to lead her family and the husband should not be putting his wife down and, and being a tyrant, he should be acting in a way that she doesn't feel the need to speak up in church because she feels heard by her husband and her husband is bringing her needs to the church. And so I, I say the same thing for voting because in a healthy family, it wouldn't really matter that women have the right to vote because the woman, the wife and the husband would vote the same way, right? Because they would communicate they would have a healthy relationship, and it's ju- it'd just be more votes of the same way, right? And so I'm not saying women shouldn't vote. I'm just saying in a healthy family, in an ideal world, it, it wasn't necessary, and that's the way that culture ran for a long time. It wasn't because men were trying to keep women down. It's because they had an idea of a healthy local family where a father supplied all the needs of his wife and his children. All right, but, but the world is trying to rewrite all the thousand years of history and say, oh, man has always been putting women down and, and being a tyrant. Well, some, some men have, okay? Some men have, but that has not been 
the general trajectory of society as a whole. And it's not been what societies have valued. They have valued a strong nuclear family with a strong male head and a, and a gracious, kind woman with a gentle and quiet spirit. All right, so this is not, this is not subjugating women, putting women down. This is on the order of the church, the structure of the church. The women's needs should be met. So he says here, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. All right, so he wants and expects that women should be participating in the gospel, should be growing in their faith, should be asking questions. And here's the other shocker. He expects their husbands to be able to answer the questions. All right, so young, young men, just understand that. Paul expects for you to be able to teach your wife how to live in accordance with the gospel. There's a high calling. You, you need to learn the gospel. There, there's really what I see in this passage is a lot of people, not just a pastor, but all the members of the church interacting with each other. When he talks about people bringing a hymn, people bringing a lesson, people bringing a revelation or a tongue, what I see is the members of the church involved in one another's lives, involved in speaking truth, and all helping carry the weight of the church and carry the light of the gospel to the people surrounding it. And, and what we see now, unfortunately, is a lot of weight on the pastor and, and nowhere else. And so I would encourage you guys, you do have gifts, and, and a lot of times you put all the, all the weight of your responsibility on someone else, and especially young men, it's time to take that responsibility. It's time to learn to start bearing that weight right now. You know, you're, you're young men, you're not, you're not the heads of your household yet, but it's time to learn to, to, to carry some weight. It's time to learn some responsibility. And here's your goal. You should be able to teach your wives and you should be able to teach your children. You should not be dependent on your pastor to teach them the gospel because that's your job. That's your job. Um, and so it's shameful for a woman to speak in church, not because a woman is speaking, but because she's shaming her husband. She's showing my man doesn't supply my needs my man doesn't know how to teach me and I need someone else to do it. Or he does know, but I don't respect him enough to look, for him, to look, for, look to him for those answers. Okay? Uh, and, and if anyone disagrees with that, here's, here's what Paul says. This is, this is really important. Or was it from you that the Word of God came? Anytime that you feel a little uncomfortable with what God says, you should just read this verse right here. Was it from you that the Word of God came? Did you invent Christianity? Did you write the Bible? Are you God? No. All right. It's not up to you, and it's not based on your opinion. It's not based on anyone's opinion. The Word of God came from only one person, God. The Word of God came from God. Okay? Or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks and he says thinks here, he's being snarky. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. All right? So there are a lot of people who think they're spiritual. I mean, go watch the American Gospel documentary. Go, go do some research on the Word of Faith movement. Think people like uh, Todd White. Man, that guy thinks he is spiritual. That man thinks that he doesn't sin. 
he's not reading God's word, right? Because he hasn't read 1 John, where it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. All right? That man thinks, thinks he's spiritual, but he doesn't acknowledge the things that God is writing. So there are, there are many people who will come to you, many people who will come to you claiming to be something great. All right? But the only great man is the one who points you to God's word and says, all right, look at God's word. I don't care what you think about my opinion. Look at God's word. Because God, God is the ultimate authority. God is the one who has truth. I am often wrong. Often. And even when I'm right, sometimes I'm right with a bad heart. Because I'm a sinful person and sometimes I'm a jerk. All right? But thankfully... The gospel doesn't hinge on me. It hinges on the word of God. So this is God's word, not my word. Uh, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. All right. So I don't recognize Todd White as a spiritual leader. Don't listen to him. I don't recognize Kenneth Copeland as a spiritual leader for you guys. Don't listen to him. I don't recognize... Uh, Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Benny Hinn. I don't recognize them. They don't recognize the word of the Lord. And so you should despise all of their teaching. It's disgusting. All right. And anyone who comes to you, whether they're famous or not, and says anything contrary to the word of the Lord, Paul says, let him be accursed. He says, even if I come to you and teach you. So Paul is saying, Paul is admitting that he's fallible. Right? And that he's not bringing his own where he says, if I say to you anything other than the word of God, let me be accursed. Let me be cut off from Christ. All right? And so this is another reason why I'm not a cessationist, because he has this command here at the end. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. So he's actually telling you to desire the spiritual gifts and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But here's the, the kicker. But all things should be done decently and in order. There's a right way to do things. There, there, there was a phrase that I heard a lot when I was first coming up on a, uh, in the faith, and it, the phrase was doctrine divides. And it was used in a negative connotation. Like, oh, you just want to talk about doctrine. Doctrine divides. Doctrine is supposed to divide, and it's supposed to divide truth from error. And that's its purpose. And just because something seems good, seems high, seems special, all right, you can't have the spiritual things and ignore the truth because what you'll realize is these are all delusions or illusions or they're tricks by the devil who, John says, appears as an angel of light. And so you have to be mature in your thinking. Just because someone says it's from the Lord, I'm telling you, use, use your, weigh it. Weigh what is said. Don't be cast away on every wind of doctrine. Weigh what is said. Use your brain. You actually have to use your brain to be a Christian. You know, in, in the early 90s, it really seemed like people were done away with that. They were just like, I'm just a Christian, and that's all I know. You need to use your brain to be a Christian. Uh, a, a really good quote that I like from G.K. Chesterton is, theology is simply that part of religion that requires brains. But I would say every part does. You can't read the Bible and not think about it. You can't share the gospel with someone without using your brain. 
You need to trust in the Lord. The Lord's going to illuminate the word as you read it. The, the Lord's going to give you words to say as you evangelize. But you can't just check out your brain. You need your brain. God gave it to you for a reason, and you have to think. You have to read God's word and memorize it, write it on your heart, and use it to protect you from those who would deceive you and would love to see you fall into sin. All right, so I'll pray, and then we'll go to small groups. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here. Please give us discerning hearts, discerning minds, so that we would not be uh, led astray, that we would stay on, on the right path, Father, because the way is narrow, and few are those that find it. And Father, we want to be the ones that find it, and we want to lead others to that path, and we want to stay on that path and see you at the end and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We love you, Father. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.